the difference between you and someone who's doing it is just the fact that they're doing it. No one has any special expertise or window into something that you don't. You just have to go out and do it and figure it out. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Active Ingredient Podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I am a deeply curious person who is constantly on a mission to uncover the light that exists within all of us. On this podcast, I talk to people from all walks of life who have uncovered their light and actively cultivate it in their everyday, whether it be through career, relationships, spirituality, or a combination of the three. My hope is that these conversations help us start uncovering our own light that already exists within us which is what I like to call our active ingredient so that we can tap into it, bring it to the forefront and live the lives that we were intended to. I cannot believe that it is 2021. It is a new year. We've got a new look going on. We are kind of trying to do an evolution of active ingredient. It's been two years now or two-ish years. And I think it was time for a little brand refresh that felt a little bit more aligned with what we're thinking. I'm so excited for this year. I'm so excited for the guests that we have lined up. I'm I'm really excited with this kind of new direction. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't think of a better guest to kick off the year than with Jacqueline Johnson, who is someone I have been wanting to have on the podcast for a very, very long time because her whole company and brand is about empowering women to go after their dreams, which is a very similar mission to what we are trying to achieve here at Active Ingredient. So a bit about Jacqueline. She is a successful entrepreneur and founder of Create and Cultivate, which is an online platform and conference for women looking to create and cultivate the career of their dreams. She is the host of my one of my all-time favorite podcasts uh, called Work Party. She is a best-selling author, an investor, and the list goes on and on. Jacqueline launched and sold her first company by the time that she was 29 and launched Create and Cultivate, her second company, after recognizing a gap in conversations, resources, events, and community for female millennial entrepreneurs and small business owners. When you cut to today, Create and Cultivate is a cult favorite brand that hosts hundreds of conferences each year, well, previously in person, now kind of moving to digital, and hopefully in 2021, we'll have a lot more in person. They've cultivated a community of 1 million plus women. She has a line at Target and a top business podcast. On this episode, we get into Jacqueline's career journey and the many lessons that she learned throughout, how she sold her first company, which I thought was interesting because her first company was an agency. So we get into what that sale looked like, how her role has changed as the business has expanded with Create and Cultivate, her approach to hiring, going where the momentum is, the power of literally just starting. Even if you don't have any resources, connections, or skills in whatever you're interested in, that's literally how she started. So she really drives home the point of literally just starting and having the mentality that if someone else can do it, you could do it too. So with that, let's get into the first episode of 2021 with Jacqueline Johnson. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I feel like you're the embodiment of the active ingredient guests that I want to have on. Oh, yay. So yeah, yeah. thank you so much for, for being here. Yeah, totally. 
So I always kick off every podcast asking the guest what they were like as a kid that they remember. And if you find that there are qualities in your childlike self or like what your people that were in your, in your surroundings, like remember of you that you think are still kind of qualities that shine through, whether it be in your work or personal life. Um, yeah. What was little Jacqueline like? Little Jacqueline. So I was <laughs> a like I don't want to say troublemaker but like I definitely always was pushing the envelope like when I was little so you know always kind of testing things exploring you know doing things like that I also was very um into not conforming into what everyone else was like so I was super into vintage clothing and I would like make all these weird clothing things and like kind of had my own personal style like really early on and I think that sort of independence is something that I've had since I was so, 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 so little. Um, So I think definitely that has resonated and kind of stayed with me. The other thing is that I love to work. So like when I was in high school, I had two jobs. I was um, working at a gym in the mornings, like 6am to like 3pm on weekends. And then on weekdays after school, I'd go work at Banana Republic in like retail. So I had like funny, I was always working and I just like loved making my own money and like paving my own path and having responsibilities like that. So I think early on, I like those little nuggets were sort of like precursors to who I would become. Yeah. Who like, was there someone in your life that was kind of like that? Like, where did you get that? Like itch to kind of just start working from the get go? Like what was your motivator having your own money? Like what was, yeah. What was the driving force? So my my parents are small business owners, so they own a business together. So I grew up around business, right? So like my parents were always like working in the mornings or my mom would pick us up and we'd go back to the office and like hang out with her at the office and like stuff envelopes. So like, I just grew up around that environment where it wasn't Mm -hmm. like my parents went to work and then came home and then I saw them. It was like, we were very integrated into their work life um, and they brought their work home and da 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 and all these different things. So I think that is what instilled in me like a, a work ethic. Uh, my mm-hmm. parents work so hard to this day. They still work both so hard. And so I think that just was something that was instilled in me from a very young age. Yeah. So what did you think you wanted to do? So you had these two jobs working at Banana Republic and at the gym. Like, did you have any inkling that you wanted to like work in media or yeah. What, what was your first thought? I wanted to work in magazines. So I was obsessed with moving to New York City or a city. And I knew I wanted, I think I wanted to be in fashion, right? Because I like loved kind of styling little outfits together and things like that. Um, And so that was really like my goal. Um, And I think, you know, what ended up happening was I ended up being a magazine major. So it's like, I definitely followed the I interned at Condé Nast. So I was an intern at Self Magazine and Condé Nast Traveler. And what I learned, I just learned so much in terms of like how magazines actually run and get... Also, what year is this? Because I feel like it's a very different game now. (laughs) I mean, I'm so old, but I'm like, God, maybe 2000. Yeah. Like was, was there like online? Did it exist? Okay. No. So the year I graduated college, they introduced a digital journalism major. So it was like, it was like, I mean, we had someone like Gawker come in and talk to our class and it was like, like, what is this? So so this is like OG when like, it was like Beacon, like print magazines were the shit, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like the good old days. (laughs) So 
I, what was interesting was, is that I ended up learning so much about what goes into making a magazine. What I realized was I thought I wanted to be an editor because I thought I was going to go out, discover new trends, tell people about these new trends, talk about labels. And what I realized was when I got into the magazine world is like, actually the sales team is the largest part of this franchise and the editor team is really small and everything they do is based on the sales team and like learning about like how advertising works and realizing oh it's not this like pure fashion form of like oh mm-hmm. I get cool trends and tell people what to do um was really eye-opening to me and so I ended up going into more of the advertising side of things um after having done those internships Got it. When you were interning, did you have like eyes on what the sales and advertising teams looked like or were they completely like isolated teams, just like the sales kind of dictating what had to happen? No, I mean, everyone was pretty integrated, but okay. I, I think I always imagined that the editorial team was the big team and they yeah. were the what was going in the magazines. And what I realized was it's actually the sales team that's dictating what goes in the magazines and the editorial team is then writing about those features. Um, so that was really kind of like an eye-opening experience. And like, of course, design and digital and all these, all these things kind of played a role. But like, I think it, I realized like, oh, the mechanics of this is not what I thought I was. Right. So that was your first job. Uh, walk us through kind of what, what those first other jobs looked like. Um, I know kind of a little bit about your story and how um, getting let go of a job is kind of what sparked the idea of starting your first company. Um, yeah. But can you just walk us through all of that? And I think that I think for the listener, the active ingredient listener, it'd be really interesting to know kind of like the psyche of someone that's a workaholic or that someone that like really loves to kind of like, you know, do the most and have their identity tied to that? Like what kind of that um, getting let go process looked like for you and then what it took to kind of get yourself back on the horse and, and go for it? Yeah, for sure. So I basically worked in corporate America after that internship. So I was at Time Inc. for a little bit. I ended up going to um, this company called Attention, which was like a startup in the mm-hmm. PR and marketing space. And then I ended up working at IAC, which is a huge mm-hmm. conglomerate that uh, owns things like weather.com, Tinder, um, Daily Beast, etc. So I was doing social media for them. And this was during the recession of like 2009, 2008. And I basically, the, the company I was working at within the larger company started to let people go. And I was like, okay, like I'm about to get let go. And, and basically what happened was the CEO of that company at the time was like, actually there's a job in Los Angeles. I was living in New York at the time and you would maintain the same title, same salary, same everything. And we'd like cover your move to LA and blah, blah, blah. And it just seemed like an interesting opportunity at the time, mm-hmm. like move and, and have a new start and all these things. And I was probably like, 22, 23. So pretty young. Yeah. So I move out to LA and I'm like, great. I come in like guns blazing to this new job. Like here's all these amazing ideas. I'm like, da, 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 da. And, um, it did not work out. So basically it's like the vibe, my like hardcore New York energy vibe. <laughs> like, did not translate in LA. <laughs> translate well into the Los Angeles world. And so basically within like two to three months, I was let go. And it was like a full you think shock. because it wasn't a fit or because the company was just going through? It was because it wasn't a fit. And really? I got, yeah, it was, it was really eye-opening to me because I basically got like taken on a walk by my manager. <laughs> oh my like, god, I have a pit for you. <laughs> yeah, like it was just awful. Like I was like, oh my god, did I just get like 
go? Like, what the hell? Like, I'm really good at work. Like, what do you mean? And I think that was to your point, like from the psyche perspective, like it was a massive blow, both personally and professionally. I think I always was like, wait, people who get let go, like are bad at their jobs. And it's not necessarily the case, right? Mm -hmm. Like I probably had a higher salary because I came from New York and obviously people get paid more in New York because of the cost of living. And I was disruptive. Like I was like, I had big ideas. I was like, our, you know, we should be doing more stuff online and da, da, da. Yeah. I get a thousand years ago, but <laughs> they basically were like, we're in a good fit. So for me, it was really challenging. And I think I had a really hard time picking up the pieces for a couple different reasons. One of which is that I lived in a completely new city. So I was like brand new, had no connections, no relationships. And two was that the core business in Los Angeles is entertainment. So mm-hmm. I had zero experience in entertainment. I was mainly in fashion, beauty, lifestyle, marketing. Right. And so I was like, cool, great. So I have no relationships and no experience in what you know the main industry is in the city. So I kind of panicked and was like, I don't know if I should be like a spin instructor. I like, I went off the rails essentially for like a month or two and then ended up reaching out to my network, telling them, you know, what happened? I'm looking for work. I'm looking for whatever. And I ended up getting freelance clients. And so I started freelancing. What network is this by the way? Because at 22, 23, like who is it that you knew that like had the clients that were paying clients? I was like, well, I had had at that point worked at like three different companies, had good Uh you know, kind of, um, friends that I made at each of those companies that were all whatever. And I was yeah. mostly looking for a job. Like I wasn't looking right. for clients, but the person who got me my first client was my former boss in New York. So, and his name is John Foley and he was, he's the CEO of Peloton now. Mm-hmm. So he's super well respected <laughs> and loved working with me, um, when I was at that company and was the one who convinced me to move to Los Angeles. So I feel like he also felt extremely guilty. <laughs> totally. <laughs> like, totally. He's like, I got to help this girl out. <laughs> So he connected me with someone in his network that ended up being my first paying client. Um, And, you know, I really wasn't looking for freelance because essentially I was working from home, living in a new city and not seeing anyone or meeting anyone. Right. So it's like, I would literally go to the gym just for like human connection because I was like, I'm not, it's not like I've lived here for five years. I'm a full network freelance and live this life. I just was like, I'm so isolated. Um, so I ended up getting an office space, uh, with a few people that were also doing freelance stuff, which was really nice. It's like, I had a place to go to. And like, it was coming from New York. I was like, I can't afford an office space. But then like in Los Angeles, right. it was $500 for like, and each of us split it. And it was a massive space at the time. So, um, you know, ended up doing that and then ended up building my first business, which was called no subject, um, which is a marketing and events agency, um, so wait, so back to like this first freelance client and like coming from your previous world, like how did you identify what your services were? How did you like figure out what to charge? Like, I know that the opportunity kind of came your way, but like once it did, were you looking at the opportunity as something that you were going to do in the interim before finding a full-time job? Or were you like, I'm going to go with this and see if I can land a few more clients? No, I was definitely doing it as the interim into finding a new job. Okay. Basically what happened was my expertise at the time, and I was really fortunate is that I was one of the first and only people, and this is going to make me sound like a dinosaur, but to work in social media marketing. So I was really early to social media marketing. 
Um, like it wasn't even called social media marketing when I was doing it, but social. I, so the, sh- I, the social girl. <laughs> yeah. It was like word of mouth marketing. It's like what we called it. But basically I ended up when I was at the agency, I was at, I worked on campaigns for Barbie and Mac collaborations. I did the first social strategies for the launch of origins organics. I did all sorts of things in this space. Like I launched Bed Bath & Beyond's Facebook page. Like it, I cool. To that world. So my services were in demand. So it wasn't like a dime a dozen, there's 5,000 social media people. It was like, there was literally like 15 of us right. that like, know how to do it. Right. So I was able to get clients and do strategy, community management, all that kind of stuff that like back then wasn't like what it is today, obviously. Right. So I was building content strategies, doing like influencer or blogger outreach and, and things like that. So Um, I was doing all of those different things and getting clients and then obviously getting recommended. And then it kind of became this thing where I had a lot of clients and I need to hire help. And then all of a sudden I had a company. But wait back, sorry, sorry to like keep like staying in this point. Cause I just find it so fascinating that like you probably didn't even know who to ask for like how much to charge these clients for different services or like what the packages looked like. Like how did you start? I full made it up. I just... (laughs) Truly, truly made it up. I had no idea. I knew I was going to do retainers and like, you know, monthly, you know, whatever it was kind of working on that end. But I, I honestly was probably charging clients like two to $3,000 a month, like not that much. And, um, but just was like stoked to have the work and and things like that. So I kind of just made it up as I went along, but I also knew how much the big agencies charge. So I, when I was working for the larger agencies, part of my job was to productize social media and package it. And they were paying massive agencies, like 30 grand a month. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm kind of doing a similar service, but without a team, it's just me. So I can all charge less than that and kind of like there. So a lot of street smarts. Just figuring it out, <laughs> for that dollar. Yeah. I love it. You keep growing this team. Like, did you ever have a moment of like checking in and being like, is this what I actually want to be doing? Like, no. Or you just kept going? <laughs> I just kept going, honestly. Okay. Like, kept going. I definitely was just like, well, it was one of those things where once you start a company, you're like, okay, well, this is on me now. And I have to make it work. And like, that's just kind of how you roll. Mm-hmm. That was definitely what I did. And I, I made so many mistakes in my first company. Cause I had no idea what I was doing and, um, was trying to figure out QuickBooks and taxes and payroll and all and benefits and like freelance versus contract versus whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, nightmare. But I was really lucky in that I had my mom who is a business owner and was able to really help me set up a lot of the things that I just had no idea about. Um, but of course there was like mistakes made along the way. Right. So you build a team. Um, at one point you bring on a co-founder, right? Yes. So I started my first company with a co-founder, um, and we ran the company, I want to say for two years. And she was, Um, what was interesting is that I was a social media marketing digital person and she was an events person. Like, so her background was event Mm. production. So I taught her about social media, um, and she taught me really about event production and everything that goes into it. So kind of like, we're like, you have a skill set, I have a skill set, let's bring it together and charge people more money and like bring on a team underneath it. So we ran that for about two years before we broke up, uh, our business partnership. I ended up keeping the company and kept running it. Got it. Okay. So then how much longer were you running no subject by yourself? Four years. Um, 
long time. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, four years is probably about right, which was hard. It was really hard. Like I did not have a great experience having a co-founder, but like. What was your reason for, for doing it? Did you feel like you needed to do it with someone else? Was it like the loneliness factor that I feel like a lot of people feel like they have to do it that way? Um, to not do it alone. Like what, yeah. What was your thought process? Well, one is that I think she had her own clients. I had my own clients. So like, it was like bigger, better together, which was mm-hmm. true. We had totally different skill sets, which was complimentary, which was great. So we could upsell and add more and truly like the thought of not doing it alone, you know, like the thought of really like having someone to be in it with you yeah. and all those different things. And, and now it's like, we understand the benefit of having a co-founder. I've been, now I've been a solo founder for, I mean, 10 years, maybe yeah. more. Um, so it's like, I, I kind of don't even remember what it's like, but I think like there's lessons to be learned in both ways. And I think obviously now, if I you know ever started anything else in the future, I would definitely bring on a co-founder. But oh, like, really? Okay. So what was the, what was your biggest learning from the breakup from that one that you would take into a new business with a co-founder now? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of different things. One was that we were like a 50, 50 partnership, which like you should really never do. Like there always need to be someone that has like 70, 30, 60, 40, whatever, in terms of like the equity partnership. Mm-hmm. And if you are going to do 50, 50, it has to be so specific into what the roles are. That needs to be so clearly defined and there needs to be checks and balances on both people. Um, you know, we, when we started the company, like we had different obviously expertise and things like that, but we also had different ways of doing business and different types of work ethic, which I think ended up not being great. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was one of those things where we just didn't have tough conversations up front. We were both super young and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I just think like it wasn't, we, we didn't know what we were going to be successful. And then we were successful really fast. And then it was like, we didn't have the tough conversations about like, how we wanted to spend money and where we wanted to spend money and all those different things. So I think it was like really great lessons for me early on. And I think, um, you know, you also just having someone that is in it with you that even if they have owned 30% of the company and you own 70, just having someone that's like in it with you, I think it's important in having really defined roles and really tough conversations up front. What are some like tough questions that you would ask right now for someone that would potentially be a co-founder? Well, I think it's, it's like, what's your end game, right? Because I think I like... And it changes, right? Because my end game now is so different than my end game 10 years ago. Like 10 years mm-hmm. ago, I was stoked to have a company and like was so excited to be running it and like wasn't as attached to the outcome or financial outcome of what the business would be. Um, and some people are, and some people are like, I want to make a lot of money. And like, that's my goal. And I mm-hmm. don't doing this forever. And it's like, having that conversation with someone versus like, I'm here, I'm in it for the long run. And like, I'm, I'm really here to build the brand and the business. And like, hopefully one day have like a great payday. Like it's a totally different mentality of how you're mm-hmm. running me, um, and how, how you want to run a business. Right. Cause I'm like very conservative. I like, like to know where all the money's going. I don't like to spend a ton of money. I'm like very, that's how I run a business. Cause I'm self-funded. Right. Like, so right. Some people are like, oh my God, we got a six figure check. Let's like go get a really nice office space or like whatever it might be. Yeah. So I think just having those alignments on like your values and the way you want the business to go. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's an invaluable learning for whatever next venture you have going on. But so you have no subject on your own now after you split up with your co-founder. Um, you have it for a few more years. At what point did the idea for Create and Cultivate start happening? And then walk us through the sale to Small Girls PR. I feel like that the the sale of like a marketing or PR agency to another agency has always been kind of like 
something that I can't really wrap my head around. I'm like, are you selling the people or like what, what exactly does that sale look like? Um, and then how also like the second part, which like, I I'm like a nerd about always talking about like the, the identity part of everything. Like when you're saying goodbye to that first company, walk us through what that was like for you. So basically with no subject, um, you know, I, we started creating cultivate probably like right after the business partner breakup. And it was really about getting like other women to have conversations and tough conversations about what they were going through. Cause that was a really devastating thing personally. Yeah. And personally, again, cause we were friends on top of the fact that we like ran a business together. We had employees together. We had clients together. It's like a divorce. Basically. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to get women together to like have these conversations and, and support one another and things like that. So it was never like a moneymaker. It was truly just to build community for like the first three years. And I did it once a year in different markets, in different ways, shapes, and forms. While um, all of this is going on, so Small Girls PR. So I'd known the founders of Small Girls PR through basically like someone was like, this is the New York version of what you're doing. Like you should meet them. And um, we, you know, we became, you know, good friends. And it was great in that... Um, we were very transparent about our businesses. Their business was much larger than mine, but, you know, but at the same time it was great. Cause it was like, here's how much we're charging. Here's what we do. Like, and we would always just kind of share wisdom, um, and things like that, or if they had a client that they couldn't take on, they would throw me the business, vice versa, whatever. Um, but it was awesome. Cause it's like two girls running a fucking company, totally. like just, you know, helping me out, me helping them out, like whatever. It was great. Um, and then essentially they ended up needing a Los Angeles office. So, um, they were obviously just based in New York. So when they came down to it, they kind of had this conversation of like, okay, like we're going to be opening this LA office. We're essentially going to be competing with Jacqueline and her company, but we like Jacqueline and her company. So like, what does this look like? And that's really how it started was like, just, what do you think? And like, we ended up chatting a bit and, um, and it just made sense. It was like, wait, you guys can have a built-in team. I get the infrastructure I need because I'm a small, a much smaller company. The employees get more infrastructure on there and better benefits, better, you know, whatever, all that stuff. Cause I think they were about 30 people at the time and we were like six. So like, you know, it, it was kind of a win-win for everyone. Right. Um, what ended up happening was I, and this conversation took years. Like, I don't want to pretend. Really? Okay. Yeah. Have- tell us all about, because I feel like that, yeah. yeah. I feel like that's where a lot of things get lost. (laughs) So probably like we started talking about it three years before it happened. Um, And for a number of different reasons, it was like, I don't know. What do you think? Let's think about it. And then it was like, we kind of kept thinking about it, kind of kept running our businesses. Things changed on their end. They had other priorities. Then I like came back and like, was like, I'm really, I I think we should do this. And then it was like, timing is always weird. Right. Mm -hmm. And then essentially what ended up happening was I, Crane Cultivate ended up taking off. Um, and so, so you were doing I, it simultaneously, like as two separate things or was creating cultivate under uh, the no subject brand. Yeah. So it was under the no subject brand for like the first three, whatever years. And then basically I started separating out after like probably a year before the sale happened. So it was like a year before I separated out, I invested money and I had a different team and like my team, I mean like two people. So it was like, but we all worked out of the same offices. It's just, everyone had different projects and there was some overlap and non overlap. It was like, it was confusing for everyone, honestly. Um, but I also wasn't like ready to make the leap because I was like, I don't know, is this like a thing? Right. Whatever. But it was getting a lot of momentum. So basically when small girls ended up coming back and being like, all right, let's like truly figure this out and do this deal. I was like, I have this other thing going on. 
And I like need to focus on that as well. But like, I have a couple million in pipeline and clients. I have a really strong team of like six people built in. Um, and we ended up doing the deal, which was like, you know, a, a, an acquisition in that it's like a very small team and, and whatever, but it was the right thing to do for the business, for the employees and for me. Um, it got them what they needed and wanted out of an LA office. And like, it got me what I wanted and needed, which was to be able to focus on this other company, not have like the weight of running two companies, right. um, on, on me. Right. How did you, how did you like identify the fact that you wanted to do create and cultivate more so than you wanted to do no subject? Did you, do you think you outgrew it? Like how did, how did that play out for you? I don't know if I knew that at the time, cause I was still kind of straddling both. And I ended up working at small girls for over a year after. So I worked, I did both for a year, which was like that's insane. A nightmare. That's insane. <laughs> I, really, I commuted to two offices. No. I was like 150 hour weeks. It was wild. I like don't recommend it to anyone. But um, but because I wasn't sure, frankly. Like I honestly wasn't sure. But the the one thing about selling no subject was I was a bit relieved because that business was started with someone else. And it had like a roller coaster of emotion around it. And I wanted a good exit, whether it, in whichever way it was going to go. Right. Like, but I knew that that needed to be, that wasn't going to be what I did for the rest of my life. You Uh, didn't know that. Yeah. I did know that in terms of like that company, like I knew I wasn't like, because it just had so much weight attached to it. Like emotionally, I knew I wasn't going to like whatever. So do you think I, that you started to think that it was not something you wanted to do for the rest of your life when you broke up with your business partner or was it when Korean Cultivate was taking off? No, it was, it was really more like when the opportunity from small girls arose, I okay. think but they were like, should you keep the name? No subject. It has such great cachet. You built like an amazing brand. And I was like, no, like I didn't, like I was done with the no subject, not like the work or the team or anything like that. Cause I loved it. Yeah. Just that weighty weird time. Like mm-hmm. I was ready for it to like next to chapter small girls or to be something else. Yeah, totally. All right. So create and cultivate is taking off. I know that your first few ones, you lost money on your first conferences. Do we yeah. call them conference? Like, what do you, what do you call them? Cause I feel like conference is very like clinical. I don't know. Yeah, no, it, is, it is. I mean, like it, it is a conference, but like, we like to say it's more of an experience. Yeah. Like the first couple of ones, it was like throwing spaghetti at the wall, seeing, seeing what's stuck. And like, we made a ton of mistakes. Like we ran out of water on our first one. We didn't have enough gift bags. Like we didn't, and I had never thrown events this big. So I was like making shit up as I went along. Um, but I really felt like we were onto something that no one else was doing. Um, and that we were really first to market and having these experiences and conversations that were, um, career driven and work driven, but in a beautiful and amazing environment that kind of leaned into the influencer rise that was happening. Um, so I, I think that's the combination of how we really started to take off. When you started it, was that something that you were like, I think I can do this for the rest of my life? Or do you not, are you like a person that doesn't think that far ahead? Are you just like, I'm in the now and I really think that this can be something. I'm in the now and I really think that this could be something. And I think that's probably a bit of self-preservation because like, (laughs) if you're like, oh, I can't like, I have to do this. I don't think in like years of things, which is probably like why I've been doing this for so long. And like every day I'm like, wait, what? Uh, (laughs) I think it's just like, I just get to the next day, get to the next day, get Mm -hmm. to the next day. And that's kind of how 
it's been because I don't, I don't think it's like, I'm doing this until I'm not doing this. Right. Right. That's kind of how I function. At what point did you know that you had something special? Like at what point, was it after those first three? Like at what point were you like, okay, this is actually catching on. I feel like we can create a full brand on this. And you're actually seeing the impact it's having on the women that are attending the events that's actually making an impact in their life. Yeah. I mean, I think probably like year two is when I was like, oh, this is a thing. And it's like, has a life of its own and it's going so fast and growing so fast. And like, I never experienced anything like it. Like in my first business, it was like me trying to find clients all the time. Like, Hey, I'm pitching. I'm trying to hustle, 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 hustle. hustle. Crate and Cultivate was like, so many people coming to us, which was like weird. Like brands I dreamed of working with were like, Hey, love what you're doing. And I'm like, what? Like, this is crazy. And like, so what do you think it is? I feel like it's like a a function of like working in your flow and like really being aligned that attracts those things. But like, what do you, I feel like you must've also been in flow with your previous company. So what do you think it was? I think it was the fact that we were doing something that no one had done before. And I had come at it from a lens of client services. So with Green Cultivate, like with my old company, I service clients. Like I would do events for them. I do marketing strategies. I do influencer work for clients. I just looked at Create and Cultivate and was like, I'm treating you like a client. And like, how would I grow your brand and do it in that way? And then when a client or when a brand came to us, like, you know, whatever, Evian Water, whoever, I was like, I wasn't like, hey, I can put your logo on this step and repeat and like, we'll charge you $5,000 or whatever. I was like, we'll do a full strategy. We'll build it. We'll report on it. And I like came at it from an agency perspective versus a media company. And I think that was like brands could wrap their heads around And we're like, oh, amazing. This is, I'm getting everything I needed from this company. And it's also looks good, has the right demographic and is really cool. So like, I just think like that's what set us apart from the get-go from any other company. It was the way we executed, like the, the approach for brands and the fact that like, we just were obsessive about customer experience because I was like, if I'm making someone pay me $300 for a ticket, like they better have the best day of their lives. Like yeah, totally. it was like, we, you know, and so we were basically like, we have to go and make this awesome. Like, yeah. what, what would I want out of an event? Like open bar? Yes. Like drinks all day, cute Instagram moments, killer speakers, like cool pop-up shop, like just shit to do the whole time. Like, so we just built like what a dream event would look like. And like, it worked. You know? How did you find, how did you find the 300 people to attend? Like, or how did you figure out what to charge for those first events and how to, how to charge sponsors? Like, was that all kind of just figuring it out as you went? Were you looking at other conferences? Like, what was it? No, did a hundred percent zero market research. I basically was like, I, the, when 300 people started buying tickets, I was like, this is wild. Like I would look at every single ticket purchase. I'd like follow <laughs> everyone. them and be like, who are you? No, totally. <laughs> like, my friend, Whitney Lee Morris, who's an influencer, mm-hmm. he bought a ticket. I want to say, I mean, this is so long ago, but like, I obviously got the emails that had all the tickets on it. 
And I saw it. I followed her. I was like, oh my God, this girl has like 50,000 followers at the time. I was like, oh my God, that's such a big deal. And I like messaged her and she was like in my wedding. Like I just shocked up. It was like an attendee. Yes. Because I was so obsessed with it. It's hilarious. I mean, now I obviously can't do that. But like, <laughs> but it's funny because the people, truly it was word of mouth. People would come. People would say they had a good time. They would tell their friends. Their friends would tell a friend. Like that's truly how the people started to come. Ticket wise, like, we honestly charge pretty much the same as what we did on year one. Like, I really don't believe in over, I I don't want to limit people from being able to go. Exactly. And I don't want to limit the, like, because for me, I have like two sides of like what my goals and like, you know, kind of what my purpose is. And one is like, be a successful entrepreneur, make money, be successful in that way. And the other is like getting women the information I wish I had when I was starting my companies. Um, and I don't want that to be limited or by finances. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we try to charge as little as possible for the information. And, and, and that's the opposite of what a lot of people do. A lot of these courses and stuff are like $3,000 or, you know, Goop is like $5,000. Not like that's for career, but I'm like, who the hell? Like I, there's no way I could afford that. Right. When I was starting my first company. Right. And I don't believe, I, I think that there's such a, now that I've been in the world for a while and I've been in a lot of boardrooms and meetings and stuff that I'm like, Oh, this is what was happening. Like there is a secret society, not like a secret society, but there is secrets that no one's sharing because they're worried that the success is limited and that, right people can have it and all these things. And so I don't believe in that. Like I genuinely believe in trying to give as much information as possible to women to like give them the tools and tips they need to go out. And I mean, I feel you really do that. And like, I I guess this is a good transition on like how you've navigated the pandemic being an experiential company. Um, But I mean, I'm a reader of Create and Cultivate Digital. I watch a lot of the lives. Like I feel like you really, really do dish out that information left, right, and center. how have you kind of like reconcepted how to make money when you, you knew that you were having your revenue stream come from these in-person events and doing the like lives and anything digital for free. How did you transition people to feel comfortable paying for things or paying for your summits online when you were giving it away for free originally? Yeah. Well, we, I mean, it was a true nightmare. (laughs) in March. It was, I can't imagine. When I, when we heard that South by was shutting down and like, I just, it's weird because I think a lot of entrepreneurs kind of went through what I went through, which was like, I went into pure fight or flight mode. And I just like adrenaline rushed through March and April to make shit happen. And like, transform the team and transform what we were doing and completely repivot and come up with new ideas and da, da, da. And then like in June, I had like a full meltdown. <laughs> like someone was like, I think like every entrepreneur was just like, <laughs> like move, move, yeah. move. And then like, and it's like this literally forced you to stop for someone yeah. that's like never stopped. I feel like it must. Yeah. And the emotional weight of like carrying a team and having to be the one that's like, we got this, even though you're like, Whoa, like I died. Yeah. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot. But we ended up creating these um, digital summits that were, we were really early on to it. We launched our first one in May. We had over 10,000 women attend from 50 different that's countries. Crazy. Yeah. We charged $29.99 and we felt like that was a good ticket price. Um, but we also didn't want our community to feel like we were taking advantage of them in that mm-hmm. way. We, 
put $10 of every ticket towards a $10,000 small business grant that went to a small business owner uh, wow. during a competition. And the pitch competition ended up being like the best. It was so fun. It was like our most highly attended and engaged part of the event. Um, we got to learn so much about cool small business owners. So, so we were like happy with that. Um, and did you end up making more money doing digital summits than in persons? Like, is that going to, is that going to be a revenue stream moving forward? No. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I'm, it's like thousands of people are able to attend versus like however many hundred. I I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Ticket sales are never the big moneymaker. It's, it's the sponsorship, right? right? So for us, we did not, it, it was no comparison how much money we would make from an in-person event. But right. what, what did change are the margins on those events. So mm-hmm. revenue-wise, you make a ton more money doing IRL events, but you also spend a ton more money because it's an IRL In-person, event. right. Like there's a ton of food, things that, venue, food, yeah. food, decor, flowers, whatever. So the margins are better. So in that way, we were able to make more money off each individual thing. Right but the revenue is lower. Right. Um, so Do you think sponsors are going to get on board at that same level for digital? Yeah. Uh, not price perspective. No, really? <laughs> but because, like, it's not the biggest thing I think. And the biggest value that like crinkle day has is the physical touch, being able mm-hmm. to see, talk, t- test products, meet people like, and I think online you can do that, but it's just so, so not much less. Yeah. So I don't think it's the same, but I think moving forward, as we get back into events, there will be a combination of the two and therefore you can charge more money than you were originally. Uh, So that's something that, you know, we can look forward to, but I think brands have gotten used to the idea. I think it took them till Q3 to do so, to be like, okay, well shit, we have to spend money and we have to do something. So, you know, we were lucky in that Q3 and Q4 for us were really strong, Yeah. Um, but it was scary. It was so, this year was totally scary, but I think the fact that we've been cash conscious in like a self-funded company that's, you know, been bootstrapped, but like run effectively gave us that buffer to like make mistakes or lose money or have a weird whatever um which is not which is sadly not what happened with a lot of other companies right I'm curious to know for you I feel like obviously your whole brand is talking about career and I feel like you're such a career motivated person um and it's like basically like what the brand is like shouting from the rooftops like how, how after the pandemic and after like all of this, like self-reflection and everything, like, how are you reconciling yourself as an individual versus like the create and cultivate career brand? Um, and I don't know if this is something that you're working on, but kind of like separating Jacqueline, the human versus Jacqueline, the entrepreneur and founder, like, is that something that you want to talk more about? Or like, I, I feel like myself as a, as a founder, I feel like this whole year has really made me reflect on how much I relied on my work for validation. And I, I feel like this com- this whole like hustle porn conversation that we've been having, like people need to reflect a little bit more on that and like why we're seeking that. I- I'm curious to know if you've done any like self-work on that. Um, and yeah. yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's a great question. I think that I 100% get validation from my work. Mm-hmm. I I love what I do. I love being busy. I like, you know, I love all those different things. I think the thing that's been interesting for this year is like typically on any given year, I'm on like 70 plus flights. I'm at events, minimum one event a week, but like sometimes more. Um, And 
this year I've literally just been home the entire time. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I started to remember things I liked, like cooking. Like I actually, oh, I like cooking and like, I like doing that stuff. And like, oh, I actually like love lighting candles and like, you know, whatever it is, like cultivating a vibe, <laughs> with my husband, like whatever, yeah. you know, whatever it is, all those things. So I think twofold, like there's been like a few different like lessons learned. One is that like, I really was anti work from home before the pandemic. Like I was like, everyone needs to be in the office. Like everyone needs to be like, you know, like they're missing out if they're missing a meeting or this or that or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think that the shift to work from home, um, open and like being effective at it, opened my eyes to a more flexible work schedule. Cause it, I think it also, it gave the team the opportunity to show me that it could work. Mm-hmm. Not like we had a choice, but like, right, right, right. but I'm yeah, like, but they stepped up and then now you feel more comfortable. Exactly. So I think that's something that's been really interesting. I also think the idea of having everyone in the same place is like completely changed my notion of things too. Um, but for me, I think that if there's any work I need to do, it's like on that front, because I think like my identity is so closely tied to the business that I think it's, um, you know, it's become one of those things that it's really hard. It's really, really challenging. And it's something that I honestly didn't mean to happen. Like I've always been in the background type of person. And like, mm-hmm. this is something the I, when I got the book deal and like started doing more stuff like that, I realized like my story actually can help a lot of people. And that's really why I do it. I am a horrible influencer. <laughs> no, you're an incredible influencer. You're really, really good at it. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like, cause I'm just, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't fake it. Like, I, I just feel like I have to be myself and like tell the real story because I think it's paralyzing to do anything else to other women. It's unfair, frankly, mm-hmm. uh, cause it's really hard, you know, right now. And I think it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, I have, a I got a career coach. Oh yeah. Last year. Yeah. Or maybe this year, honestly, like who knows, mm-hmm. but it's been a real help because I think working with her, as a leader dealing with team issues or dealing with whatever, like I I've learned so much about like my biases and how I like, you know, because I'm such a workaholic, I feel like I push that on everyone else and not everyone functions the way I do. And like, mm-hmm. it's really important, but also to her point is like, who is Jacqueline Johnson? And like, what do you want to be doing? And like, how do you differentiate that? And like, I think it's, going back to the mission of creating cultivating the things I love. Like, um, I know like one of your questions, like how far away do you get from the things you like to do? And it's like, you get pretty far away. I know. And that's, that's a huge like struggle that I feel for sure. It's like you started it because you love it, but then as you grow it, you're further and further away from it. So yeah. How do you, how have you worked on that? I think it's really hard. I think it's like, I, as a CEO, like so I, there was this meme someone posted the other day, but it was like, when you start to realize that your job is just to come up with solutions for problems, like it'll make your, make you like put a sense of calm into like your everyday day. And like, truly that's my job is yeah. finding problems all day long. Um, and you like that, like you enjoy doing that versus like before when you were cold emailing grounds to to come on, yeah. like, like, do you, is that genuinely what you enjoy doing today? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I I think that, you know, it, it, things change, you know, and I, I still get involved in some of the fun stuff, but we have an amazing team now that like, like I use, I up until 
February of this year, mm-hmm. designed every single stage. I designed every single stage. I wow. designed every single look and feel. I like wrote every single panel. I like programmed. I, I did everything, which was like a detriment to the company. Um, and handing that off has been hard, but like, yeah. How do you do that? Like I, I, I'm so bad at that too. You have to just do it and things will mess up and things will fuck up and people will be upset or like whatever will happen. But it's like, you have to just, people have to learn lessons and yeah. get better. And that's the hardest part, right? Is like, I'm just like, oh, I don't want any mistakes, but it's like, it is what it is. And now it's like truly the Crane Cold Vape team. Like our graphic design team is like best in class. They're amazing. Like every, they send me stuff and I'm like, amazing. I love it. Like I used to be the one that was like doing all that. And like, yeah. we have a talent that like will be like this person would be great for this panel and like I used to do all that and like right just like slowly but surely you just let go of things and like I think the thing I like now is not like is the team do you really yeah and I been through some real rough roads yeah and like I feel like now I'm just so proud when they do good work And I think that's a, it's a total shift from last year, you know? And I think it's because we've had a minute to get it right Mm -hmm. so fast because we had so much opportunity and this is the year like locked in and got it right. And like everyone's functioning at top capacity. And I think that's, what's exciting for me is like seeing those things live without me. It becomes a new type of success. I can't wait to get to that point because I, I feel like I have like major FOMO of feeling like I wasn't a part of it, even though like I, I trained them. So like I, I was, but it still feels so removed. Yeah. But like no, I have major FOMO. <laughs> I would say I'm halfway there. Like okay. I, I'm not in a place where there's nothing that I don't know that's going on is going on. I know about everything that's going on. Then eventually you'll get to a point where you're like, maybe I don't know everything that's going on. And like, that's okay too. But like, yeah. It's taken me, I mean, what has it been? Like six years to get here, maybe more. Like, so I think that's also important. Is that, you know, I always see, and it, it really depends. I, I guess if you raise money, it's a little different because then you just like staff up and have like C-suite people that are like handling shit for you. But like, you're growing a business on your own. It's going to be long. Yeah. It's going to be a long process. Like yeah. if you're a service-based business. So how do you find talent? Like, how have you found this team? What are like the best? I feel like there's like 8 million create and cultivate articles on this, but like you yourself, like how, how do you identify talent and what are some questions that you think really work for you? Yeah. I mean, I feel like luckily now I don't eat, like there's levels to recruiting and I get sort of the last interview, but when I was need, there's no good. Here's the thing I would give as advice in every single interview. I am so transparent in that I'm like, we are self-funded. We are bootstrapped. We are events business, which means weekends. We are events business, which means nights. Like we are growing, but we're like hustling our asses off right now. And there's a lot of fun stuff that comes with this travel, getting to meet really cool people, lots of swag, but it is a hard, it's hard work. And Mm -hmm. like we're getting to the place where we can work smarter and not harder, but we're not there yet. And like, I see that in job interviews and I'm like, if you are the person and we're a little bit different now. Cause I think we're like a lot larger and like, we're able to have those boundaries. But like early on, I was like, if you're the person that's like, Oh, I have 5 PM yoga. I got to go. I'm cool with that. Like, I have no problem with that, but this isn't like, 
a job for you. Mm-hmm. And not to say it's a bad thing. Like, it's just like, we need self-motivated self-starters that love to work. And like, that's how we do it. And every single person was like, that's me, that's me, that's me. And then they come in and three months later, they're like, I can't do that. And I'm like, I, if it's Told not, Hey, <laughs> okay. if you don't want that, it's okay. Like mm-hmm. it's not a bad thing or whatever thing. It's just the truth of the matter of where we are as a company. And like, now we have, now we're like, and that's why when we were like 10 people, right. but like now that we're like almost 20, it's like, we have a lot of people in place and like directors and levels and things like that. So it's not like that anymore, but like being brutally honest about your business is a great way to have a, a good relationship at the get-go being like, yeah. this is that, this is what we're doing. This is the, this is the work that you'll doing, but you'll be doing, but you might be doing some of this work too. Yeah. And, I think that's really important. I think we went through a, a phase of having some people who thought they wanted that and didn't. And yeah. like, it, it, it's just really hard and, um, you know, to kind of be able to do that. But I, yeah. I think also like coming to terms with the fact that like, I'm also just, I'm not a great manager because I'm an entrepreneur. Like my brain's in a thousand places. I like move and go like this. And so when I realized that our CEO was like, no one should be reporting to you. And like, you shouldn't be managing people because you literally have no time to do that. Um, and then we started moving man like things over to our GM and like whatever. And it's gotten so much better. Oh, nice. <laughs> that, that takes six months. Yeah. To so like if employees aren't down to be like, all right, we're like figuring it out and moving towards it. And they're just like, this is hard. It's like, then it's, it's, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. So I think you have to be like brutally honest about where you are as a company with like employees in an interview. And if you're the interviewee, if it does not sound like something you want to do, do not do it. Like you're mm-hmm. not happy. Like even if you think it's a cool thing to have on your resume, like just don't. Yeah. Such good advice. I also like struggle with like when you have a young company, like still wanting to attract really good talent and not scare them away, but like be brutally honest. It's like a a fine line, you know? It'll be better in the long run. Totally. 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 It it really is. And like, I've told people where I'm like, like I've had a few, um, employees that were like, I want to start my own thing. Yeah. I want to like learn from you and I'll work for you for a year and I'll work my ass off, but I just want to learn from you. And I'm like, Appreciate the transparency. Like, wow. If you're going to bust your ass for me for a year, great. And sometimes they stay longer and like, then they go off and start their own thing and it's great. But like, I just like, I'm like, where's everyone's motivation coming from? And like, I just feel like that's like a good way to like level set a relationship from the get go. Such good advice. All right. So the question that I'm so excited to hear, and I feel like you touched on it a little bit, but like, what would you say your actual like purpose? Like, what is your deeper motivation today? Has it changed? Like what is your active ingredient with Create and Cultivate or on a personal level? Um, and what's your vision for Create and Cultivate in the future? Yeah. Um, I mean, my motivation is definitely to give women the advice that I didn't get when I was starting out. So as I learn more, I want to give more and really support women and put money where my mouth is, which is why I invest in women-owned companies. It's why I mentor people. It's why I run this company, et cetera, et cetera. So that is like what motivates me because I get, I am a big proponent of generational wealth. And like the more generational wealth we put in women's hands, the more women will make money down the line, the more that they all have in their pocket, the more they'll be able to go out and build businesses, the more that gives them the financial freedom to live the life that they want, which is really important and something that my mom like instilled in me like early on. 
And then in terms of Create and Cultivate, I mean, surviving this year was great. Um, and then going into 2021, like just really building out how we can support women online and offline is going to be key for us and like really growing out the educational components of the business um, while also, you know, having fun with the brand. So, yeah. you know, some like entertainment opportunities that we're looking at. I really would love to write another book at some point. So yes. exciting things. Yeah. I love it. So the podcast is to go through the guest journey and obviously get kind of like insights into what your day-to-day looks like and how you got here. But it's also for the person that is eager to, it's kind of like the create and cultivate person, I would say, that's eager to kind of find what that thing is for them, what their quote unquote active ingredient is, but they don't even know what questions to ask themselves. They may have just gotten let go. They may be in a transitional period or just questioning the industry that they're in. What advice would you tell them aside from going to read create and cultivate content? cultivate content. No, I think it's a couple different things. One is like, go where the momentum is. So like, if like with create and cultivate my clients, when I was running the subject were like, you should go do that. Like that should be your business. And I was like, no, like I, you're my client. But like when people are telling you something over and over again, pay attention to that for sure. Um, and go where the momentum is. And the other thing is, is like the difference between you and someone who's doing it is just the fact that they're doing it. No one has any special expertise or window into something that you don't. You just have to go out and do it and figure it out. And like, that's truly how I did it. I didn't have a business degree. I didn't have any funding. I didn't have any relationships in Los Angeles when I started my first company. You just have to do it. Um, And I think that's kind of the big differentiator. That is incredible advice. And that is going to be the pull quote of the the episode. (laughs) Um, so is there any resource or anything that you've leaned on in your career that's helped you kind of like figure out what these tools were that, that helped you along the way? Again, like I sound like a broken record to create and cultivate is an incredible resource, but is there anyone that you currently lean on for, for help in that department or podcast or anything? I, I mean, not really. I would say like, it's mostly the mistakes I've made on my own, but, um, you know, I think that when it comes to whoever is like hitting you with mentorship or you feel you resonate with their message, just pay attention to them, you know, at the end of the day, but make sure that they have credibility in the space. I think right now there's like a big credibility crisis going on where a lot of people are like showing you can make a million dollars in like four months and and I did it, whatever. And I'm like, make sure you're like checking out who you're getting your advice from. And Mm -hmm. that is coming from a place of where you would want your business to go. Yeah. So I always close out the podcast asking what is your literal active ingredient, something that you have to eat, consume, do, um, a person you have to see, a song you have to listen to, just something that you have to do every single day. I mean, I feel like for mine, it's like the least active ingredient, but it's sleep. <laughs> like I'm a big eight hours person. Like I do not function unless I get a good night's sleep. Same, 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 same. Are you getting sleep now? I feel like the pandemic has like created insomnia for so many people. Oh my God. No, I am sleeping. Like I've never slept before. Really? Travel and I'm on the road and all these things. I'm just like hardcore hit the pillow. I'm out. All right. Well, where can everyone find you and tell us about your podcast? Yeah. So my podcast is called work party. You can find it on Spotify, Apple podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, and I am on Instagram at Jacqueline R Johnson at create cultivate and at work party. Amazing. Thank you so much. This was incredible. I feel like I can talk to you for 8 million years. (laughs) I know, I know. Well, thank you so much for having me.
Thank you guys so much for listening. It would mean the world to us if you could rate and review us. And for more inspiration and quotes from the episode, check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.